Hello and welcome to the Beef Edge, the Chagas Beef Podcast, for all your latest news, information and advice for Irish beef farmers. I'm Catherine Egan and on this week's episode is a recording of the Chagas National Beef Conference panel discussion titled Delivering Sustainability at Farm Level, which took place on the 13th of December in the Shearwater Hotel Banisloe. It was facilitated by Matt O'Keefe from the Irish Farmers Monthly and the panel participants were Professor Sinead Waters, Dr. Dominica Kroll from Chagas, Ross Evans from ICBF, and Pierce Kelly, Chagas Head of Drystock. It first began with Professor Sinead Waters discussing her current research and the potential for feed additives to reduce methane emissions. First of all, I was interested in the rumen microbiome, so microbes that exist in the rumen of the animal. And that really extended then into these, these microbes produce methane. So really right now, I'm interested in methane emissions from ruminants, uh, how we can reduce methane uh, emissions from ruminants, developing methane mitigation strategies that we can ultimately bring to the farm level. So strategies and technologies um, uh, that we can develop further and bring to the farm level. So at the moment, we're developing these in the lab. Uh, and also we're testing technologies in beef cattle um, in Chagas Grange and in sheep in Aston Rye also. Um, and really what we want to do is make them uh, uh, we can implementable um, on farms. We work closely also with the signpost programme, as was mentioned earlier, so that we can make these technologies go from the lab to trials and then to be utilised on, on the farm. And in, in terms of, of methane reduction additives, I assume this is a worldwide research project that there's huge interaction between the Irish effort and, and, and globally. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I suppose in another role that I have, I'm co-chair of the Livestock Research Group of the Global Research Alliance for Agriculture and Greenhouse Gases. And really, in, in that forum, I, I, I bring issues that are of Irish importance, particularly we're a pasture-based country, similar to New Zealand, for example. So really what we want to do is, uh, internationally, there's loads of research going on in trying to come up with the same, uh, I suppose, endpoint in developing feed additives that we can apply um, at farm level. And, and over the last year, really, in, in Chavez Grange, we have come up, we've made lots of progress. Uh, we have increased our capacity to measure methane, first of all, uh, hugely, both in, in Chagas Grange and in Tully with the ICBF. So we can actually measure methane now very well in beef cattle. So we're, we're actually trying to get proper baselines for that, and that's really good progress. What we're also doing is we have a large project called Metabate, which I lead, um, and in that project we're testing, you know, lots of companies and, and organisations make claims about feed additives. Within this project, we're independently assessing these feed additives from the laboratory right through to, to animal trials. Uh, so we can give definitive results to, uh, to, the scientific, uh, to the scientists, to farmers, to everybody on whether feed additives work or not. Uh, we've tested things like Bovair that you may hear about, or 3NOP. We've uh, tested other feed additives from our countries, from, from companies in Ireland and elsewhere, uh, and, and we're making progress. The area where we really want to push out at the moment is trying to make these feed additives applicable in pasture-based. So really, as I mentioned earlier, uh, our ability to grow grass in Ireland and, and to use pasture as part of our feeding system is our advantage here in Ireland. So any feed additive that's going to be applicable here in Ireland will have to be able to apply it um, during grazing systems. Uh, and that's where a lot of the work is going on at the minute. Progress we've made, we've, we've tested 3NOP, Beauvais, uh, that has reduced methane emissions indoors uh, for us uh, by 30%. 
So we had, that has been tested around the world. This was the first trial that was carried out uh, on the island of Ireland. Uh, and that was very, very successful. But this is essentially a powder that needs to be mixed into a TMR diet. So really, uh, and you cannot really get it into a pellet in the current format. So we're looking at this additive and other feed additives, trying to get them into a, a concentrate or a nut that you can actually deliver it on, on farm. Uh, and we're making progress to, to certain feed additives from Irish uh, industry partners, uh, where we can, uh, using um, uh, an additive called you know, calcium peroxide type uh, feed additive, which has given us similar results, and we can actually get it into a, a nut uh, and deliver that easily on, on farm. So we're pushing that out in a minute. Okay, we'll delve into that further as, uh, over the, over the okay. next half an hour. You mentioned interaction with ICBF, and, and Tully brings me nicely onto the next panelist right beside me here. Uh, I'll have to tell you who he's not, first of all. For anyone that knows Andrew Crummy, that's definitely not Andrew Crummy. That's Ross Evans. He's an ICBF geneticist. I've practiced that since you told me what you were. Uh, and there's an awful lot of work going on in terms of how breeding can reduce emissions from the Irish herd. But on, the, on an economic basis, is that a fair summary? Yeah, and I suppose, look, there was a couple of comments from, from the audience about whether, you know, it's timely now that there's a revision of the, of the, the Eurostar indexes, and I think it, 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 it is that time. And I suppose, look, the, 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 the last six years has been, um, you know, we saw the, the BDGP scheme, and, you know, there was a reluctance there then to, to change the goalpost until that scheme had finished. But there's a lot of initiatives coming forward, and I suppose one of the themes I picked up on today was, the first one was the, the age of slaughter piece, and, and and how we're trying to make progress driving down the age of slaughter. Well, uh, one of the, the key additions that we will see coming in later in the year is, is an age of slaughter breeding value coming in as a new component of the index. So that will start to reward the earlier finished animals that can, that can get in on spec. And, and so, so that's kind of a key, a key one. Both has an economic impact, but also a, a carbon impact. So if you can use that then to, to, to breed animals that drive down the, uh, the genetic merge for age of slaughter, but also the, the phenotypic level. The other, the other initiatives that are coming, as Sinead mentioned, is the potential uh, advent of a carbon index later in the year, so both the terminal index and the replacement index. As some of you might know, it was launched in November on the dairy side, and it will be launched in January on the, the dairy beef side, but the, the Paul is working hard there on the on the revision of the economic values that are going into the, the terminal replacements, but also the calculation of the carbon values that are going to identify the key traits that are driving carbon in the index. I suppose all that then can be validated by the, the data that's over in the Tully, Tully Research Centre. I suppose at, at this stage, there's somewhere near close 1,300, 1,400 animals gone through, and, and worldwide it's probably the largest multi-breed data set that's gone through. And there's some really interesting data coming through from that. Um, we can see big variation within breed and, and across breed and the relationships there with, with traits like feed intake and, and live weight, they're all giving us an idea as to, to how methane is, 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 is being produced on a typical finishing unit. What we need to do now is, is to replicate that at grass, so see how, how those animals perform um, in terms of their methane emission at grass before they come into Tully, but then extend it to the, to the cows, to extend it to the, to, to the sucker cow, which I suppose is the is the biggest carbon sink there in in the in in, in the uh, in the in the sector. So I mean, we, we would see that you know that there's there are two big changes coming then in in, in terms of the, uh, the the indexes for the for, for later in, in, in the summer next year. 
I thought the other one I was picking up on was a, a, a lot of discussion on, on um, age at first cabin. And I suppose, look, the, it, it struck me that there's, there's probably two traits already in the index there that we, we we're not really utilizing because they're probably not up front and central. And the two of them are, there is a, an actual trait there for age at first cabin. There's also a trait there for maternal cabin difficulty. And we would have seen in the case, in the, the, examples of those that, that were probably good in one, good in maybe the age of first cabin, but then didn't have maternal cabin difficulty and ended up leading to a lot of heifers being pulled after their, their, their first lactation. So, so there's probably you know, something we can do there maybe to try and bring those traits up front and central for, for anyone that is thinking of, 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 of making a drive for, for that, that 24 month at, at, at first cabin. Okay, Ross, just as, as, as an overarching uh, comment from you, perhaps, we know there are any number of heritable traits that can be pursued, but is there, uh, to, to what extent are they achievable? What, what's the cutoff point uh, where it's not worth pursuing it because you, you wouldn't get enough of a bang for your buck? Well, I, I mean, if we look at the full range of traits that say that are in the replacement index, they'll range from a very heritable trait like feed intake and carcass weight. Uh, at somewhere 40-50% heritable down to trade like female fertility which might be 2 or 3% and that's literally a function of how many animals you need to get a reliable proof so if an animal has a, a, a hundred carcass records you get a quite high reliability there you might need 2,000 female fertility records because the heritability is so low at, at, at 2% but you will get reliable bull, bulls uh, once you have a lot of records on them so it, it just means that you have to you Plan the breeding program so that when you're testing young sires that they, that they, they get good coverage so that you get enough of daughters coming through the system. Okay. Dr. Dominique Crowell, we haven't met earlier, you, you're a later arrival. <laughs> All the way from Wexford. All the way from Wexford, yes. D delighted, you could, delighted you could make it, absolutely. Just as well I had a 4x4. Four four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, things like that rough out there now. The, the Wexford people are always complaining about the weather. <laughs> Yes, and you have, a, you have a range of analysis and research results. Take me through, through two or three of them. Okay, so I think probably what's of interest and what you're alluding to is um, the MAC analysis. So kind of, you know, what I call a, a benchmarking, really, of, of take, you know, when we take a number of mitigation options. Um, that we've worked on collectively in Chagas, uh, in Johnston Castle, where I'm based, our colleagues elsewhere. Um, and you know, th these are measures that reduce greenhouse gas emissions, that reduce uh, ammonia <coughs> emissions. Um, and, and really, you know, we take that component, all these component research and we put them together into an analysis, which is really benchmarking. It's looking at um, you know, how much mitigation we can um, we can achieve with a certain measure and what is the cost, cost associated with it. So it, it really, you know, that kind of higher level analysis identifies um, the measures with the highest potential, so kind of all the low hanging fruit that, you know, that, that can be maybe prioritised for, for, um, you know, for farmers and for policy makers. Um, the, these type of analysis also tell us uh, that perhaps you know some measures are very good, but they need a little bit of a support on the financial side. So what we what we see is you know the kind of cost benefit analysis really of of, 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 of each measure. And there's a there, there, there's a suite of measures there on both greenhouse gas and ammonia side. And some of them are the same, some of them differ a little bit. 
Um, but really, at the core of it is, you know, there, there, there's a lot of measures that kind of save farmers money, that, that, that they make financial sense on the farm. Um, things like, you know, breeding better animals and improving health. Um, so what we've heard um, already, you know, this evening with regards to a lot of research, these are also mitigation measures that, you know, that reduce our carbon footprint, that reduce our uh, ammonia emissions. Um, so other kind of our, our big things that, um, um, that can be implemented are low emission slurry spreading or, um, t or taking up theory uh, changing that fertilizer formulation to, to kind of to, to, to low emission fertilizers. So there's a huge range, you know, there, there, there's a range of mitigation measures there. And, uh, and really where, what we've been working on um, and what my research uh, focuses on over the last few years is, is one of that component research specifically for myself on the nitrogen side, nitrogen use efficiency um, and measures associated with that. And then, you know, really bringing it a step further and just kind of having that, um, that document that is then you know, taken up by, by the industry uh, by policymakers, and it's really a guidance document for for how to move forward, um, with regards to to more sustainable systems. Protected urea and less low emission slurry spreading. I, I I would suggest highly practical, highly economic, beneficial. They they're, they're on the, the positive side of the balance sheet. At this stage, at this early stage in Ireland, but a mature stage right across the globe, and particularly Europe, anaerobic digestion. Where's that on the on, on the profit and loss? That's that's an interesting one because there's you know as a as a measure there's so much to it because a lot of the measures that we, we look at is um, it's a component of the system. Whereas um, AD you can look at it as a, a number of components or you can look at it at a system level. Okay? So we're talking about provision of feedstocks and sustainability of, of growing those feedstocks, which we're, we're, we're currently researching at the moment, and improving the, the kind of biomethane yields within the AD process, which we're also working on. Um, then there's a whole recycling of digestate, and again, we're looking at emissions associated with it. And then there's, you know, there, there, there's a whole um, kind of provision for the industry in terms of where to grow feedstock, how to move it around, what's you know what what's the transport options, how far from the plant it can be, what size of the plant, uh, you know it, it's kind of is preferable, whether whether the plant produces uh, biogas, biomethane that is then used, you know maybe in trucks or, or kind of injected into gas grid. So there's just. AD is such a you know it's such an interesting and fascinating kind of fast growing area at the moment. There's so many moving levers um, that that it's very hard to kind of give a definite answer, which is probably not what you want to hear. Well, I, I do want to get into not, not not immediately, but I do want to get into the the practicalities of where farmers can mm -hmm. be involved, and we we'll get we we'll get some interaction on that. But I want to bring in our final panelists first of all, Pierce Kelly. Uh, Pierce, research development. Adoption is, is the big issue, always has been across all the sectors. Where are we with the likes of the, uh, the, the MAC curve initiatives? Yeah, so you're 100% right now. You know, Sinead has talked about and, and Ross and, and, and Dominique and, and our earlier speakers talked about all the different technologies that 
can can be brought out that that will help us reduce our, our emissions and that and that's great but there's an assumption and there's an assumption in the Mac curve too that you know there'll be a big uptake of these technologies so we really do need to get an uptake of these technologies because it's one thing saying on paper that you know reducing the age of first cabin has a, has a significant impact and can reduce by x y or z but if we're only at 24 percent of the of, of the national herd uh, cabin down that uh, of my first cabin, of first year, uh, cabin at 23 to 26 months. We need to significantly ramp that up. And it was really interesting, I think, the figures Paul put up there that the impact of moving 50,000 heifers from 36 to 24. And it's those kind of seismic shifts that we're going to have to see in the next five to six years if to achieve the, the, the target that Frank was talking, director was talking about earlier on of 25%. But there is movement, you know, and then we even take and, and uh, the director was talking earlier on about you know the, the National Farm Survey results and, and part of the National Farm Survey results for the last number of years is looking at the uptake of technologies and if we look at say even what Dominique was talking about there on the dry stack sector alone so 25% of the slurry that's spread now on dry stock farms um, is, is from low emission slurry spreading and that's obviously a huge increase since 2015 when the technology wasn't really being spoken about if we look at the 2021 figure for protected urea on dry stock farms, much higher on dairy farms where there's a lot more urea spread per se anyway. Uh, but on dry stock farms, the figure was, was 2%. Okay, if that was 2021, I, I would argue that it's really only probably in the last 12 to 18 months that, that we as an organization and farmers and the print media and everybody has started to talk about, and the availability of protected urea is a big thing. So I suspect when we see the, the 2022 figures, that that two percent will be will be a lot higher, and um, then the other big one that we're we're seeing, and there hasn't been a huge amount of talk about it here this evening, but liming is a big one that that has a kind of huge influence. So you know, if you look at things like protected urea, um, we'll probably have a much bigger influence and a much bigger impact when it's uptaked on dairy farms, where there's an awful lot higher use of nitrogen, whereas on dry stock farms, you know, a lot of people here in the audience are maybe only putting out. 50, 60 units of nitrogen per, 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 per acre or 50, 60, 60, 70 kilos per hectare in the year. So there's not going to be a huge, massive benefit on the, on, 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 on the say, protected urea uh, the impact on dry stock farms. But where there would be a big impact is the, the greater use of, say, lime, because you can have a significant uh, more grass growing, obviously, with all the benefits of putting out lime and much better nutrient use efficiency. And we see from the National Farm Survey again that in that five-year period we have seen an, an increase from I think it was 15 to 20 percent in the five-year period of the use of lime. But again, it's still only 21 percent of farms putting out lime. And lime is something that it's not it's not really it's not really something that you'd say is is optional like nitrogen that you'll push grass production and put out nitrogen or I won't put out nitrogen. The lime is something that you know. We're told that you know, as, as rain comes, it washes the, the, the basically make basically makes soil more acidic. So the vast majority of farms do need to put out lime. It's not something that the eighty percent who don't put it out have decided that their farm doesn't need it. Uh, and, and we've seen, you know, if you go back to the sixties and seventies, I think we were the figure we were putting out, and I'm open to correction on this. But I think we we're putting out close to two million tons uh, of lime, whereas we were back there for a long time at one million tons. So our soils haven't changed since the 60s, if I think we need more lime, uh, we should be getting close to that 2 million tonnes. So it's impacts like that that we need to see start to happen at farm level if the improvements that Dominique is talking about 
and the mitigation factors that the macro has shown us can get us. Otherwise, it's going to be very hard to get to that 25%. Okay, okay. Let's just pick out protected area as an instance where you can get a big hit. It's practical. Assuming there's availability, assuming it's price competitive, um, bang can. Yeah, that's been said. Listen, that's a policy issue. That's not something that Chagas is, is, is going to necessarily take a stance on. But I mean, I don't know that we need to go that far, far even, Matt. You know, I mean, I, I think what it is, and it's around nutrient management planning, and it's around, listen, call a spade a spade. There's a fear on a lot of dry stock farms over the years that that urea wasn't as good as can. And there's absolutely no research, all the research has shown uh, that, there's, that they're exactly the same. So there's even that level of, you know, we talk about a fear of going on calving heifers at two years instead of three years. There was a fear all along of moving from can to ordinary urea. And now we're asking dry stock farmers to take a little bit more of a leap of faith. Don't just jump to urea, jump to protected urea. So it, it's around education, it's around training, and it's around giving people the confidence. And I mean, that's where I suppose coming into the future beef and the dairy beef program. I mean, you can ask any of them, there's plenty of participants here this evening who are in those programs and, you know, they have moved to that and 100% will tell you, listen, they're growing every bit as much grass with the protected urea as they, as they grew with their can-based products. But, did you, but, but it's seen as believing that. And, and you know, it's easy for, for us as, as, as research organisations or an advisory service to send out a fact sheet or tell you in the newsletter. But really, at the end of the day, for you to be convinced you need to dip your toe in the water, put out some of it, see what happens, and convince yourself. And that's really what we're asking farmers to do on, on the technologies, whether it's protected jury or calving heifers at two years of age. You know, I, I, some of the people on the calving heifers at two years of age, it's, it's very unusual for someone to go from 100% calving three years to 100% calving at two years. But they might try three or four heifers and say, you know, you hear Shane there talking about, he's no calving difficulties. And that doesn't come around by accident. He's no calving difficulties because he's using AI and he's using easy calving bones of a high reliability. So he, he's, he's using the technology, but he's using his brain to That's all for this week's episode. You can catch up on all other shows and interviews from the Beef Edge podcast on the Chagas website at chagas.ie or you can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss a show. For all other updates on our Beef programme, Keep an eye on our Twitter and Facebook pages. Until next time, I'm Catherine Egan and thanks for listening.